Well, hello, church. It's good to see you all this morning. Good to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, for just a moment, though, I want to pause and just be silent. We are not a people that are not impacted by the world in which we live. And this week, in light of the tragedy that happened in Uvalde, I'd like to ask us to pause for a brief moment of silence. Father, in our thoughts and in our prayers, may we think of new ways, and may we pray for revelation from you about the things necessary to bring peace to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Snapshots. I know, I know, I know, I'm a preacher, I'm supposed to get up here and I'm supposed to talk about the context in which these stories from scripture are written. But the English major and the actor in me wants to deal a little bit with subtext as well. The idea of what we do with the lessons learned. And so this morning we're gonna look at some snapshots. Snapshots are great. I even have some with me this morning, some snapshots. Snapshots of the place where I grew up. There we go, right there. 4490 Old Iowa Park Road, Wichita Falls, Texas, a place affectionately known as Sand Beach. Sand Beach swimming pool on the left, skating rink on the, skating rink on the right. Uh, must have been Elmer Fudd night. Um, And we lived on the top floor of the skating rink. And that that last last two windows all the way down there to the right, that was my room. This is where I grew up. And every year, my favorite part of the year was spring. Because spring meant that we got to work on the swimming pool. We got to start cleaning it up. We got to start busting out concrete and pouring new concrete. We got to start getting the pool ready. And then around May 14th would be the day that we would open, splash day. May 14th was my dad's birthday. So we'd always open. You can keep scrolling through here. This was all I knew growing up. This was great. This week my daughter shared with me a short story that she's writing on her memories of this place. She was only five or six when we closed the pool down. I lived right there and spent every summer right there from the time I can remember until I was in my 30s. So there was a rhythm. There was a, there was a, there was a purpose. There was, there was a reason we did what we could do. It was hot. Oh, my goodness. Hot, hot, hot. We had ways around that. We had ways to cool the water down so that people could come and people could enjoy The the pool, if you noticed how big it was in the aerial photo, that pool is almost an acre in size, right? It held a million gallons of water. 
the pump that recirculated the water in it pumped out 75,000 gallons per minute. Now, I'm not a math guy, but I'm impressed by that. What was really hard was the cleaning of it, was, was, was making it ready and, and the chlorine we used. Oh, my goodness, you would not believe. But every summer from May 14th until the end of August, 12 noon till 8 p.m., Monday through Monday, that's where we were as a family. And my dad had a dream. He wanted this to be a place for kids to come, a safe place for kids to come. So if a kid showed up and didn't have any money, said, hey, Gene, I don't have any money, he'd say, that's all right, and he'd write their name down, and he'd call them up later to help take out the trash. Many of those kids ended up working for us. They would even come back and help us out, even into adult life when they had moved on to careers and everything else. But that was then. This is now. One more. This is now. About 12 years ago, it's funny because I was preparing for this lesson all week long. And this morning in my Facebook memories, this showed up. 12 years ago, I took these pictures. Pictures of what once was a vibrant swim community, a place where families could come and picnic. Now nature has begun to retake and reclaim. Now trees have begun growing up through their concrete, no longer busted out and repaired, but just left to break and crumble. It no longer fulfills the purpose that it was created for. In our snapshots of Scripture today, we find evidence of believers no longer doing that. Okay, Aaron, thank you. The first story that I want to share with you this morning is, a, is the prophet, the prophet Amos. Amos is a prophet that I really relate to because the first time I ever heard anybody read from Amos, I was in seminary. I was at Sunset International Bible Institute. And Charles Spear was reading aloud about prophet, prophet Amos and, and his mission and what he was to do. And, and he was sent from the north to the south to come down and judge the worship. To tell them that not all worship is glorifying God. That when we forget to take care of the poor, when we forget, when we forget to take care of, of, of justice and provide for justice and safe places in the world, that worship becomes meaningless. Worship becomes soundless to God, almost, almost a, just a cacophony of strange noises and painful sounds. And while Amos is preaching this message, there's a prophet in the south who tells him to go away. You're just preaching for profit. And Amos says, look, I'm not the son of a prophet. I just had to come down here because you guys weren't doing your job. You weren't listening anymore. You weren't doing what you were told. I had to leave the trees that I was tending and the sheep that I was taking care of to come down here and preach this message. And this message that I bring to you is that God is not going to allow you to continue to mistreat the poor, to continue to sell people into slavery, to continue to trample on justice, and then come to worship. You have blood on your hands. He said, God is going to judge you. And he gives them this idea of a wall, a plumb line measurement that gives you what the truth really is. 
Amos is a powerful story. And he doesn't just leave them with the gloom and doom by saying, hey, I'm not here to tell you you're doing good. I'm telling you you're here to doing bad. He says, but if you repent, if you change, if you start again notice the poor, if you start again to leave the corners of your field unharvested so that the travelers coming through can eat, if you will keep people safe with honest justice, the Lord again can hear your worship. Amos is the gospel of stop it. Our other snapshot this morning is a story that Jesus tells shortly after he sends out the 72. He sent the 72 out and they went and preached and they came back to him and they were so excited. They were so excited because they saw people healed, people, people repented and, and then pledged to follow along. Some of them probably even came back with them. But for some reason, sometime while they were all gathering there, there was a lawyer there among them, and he decided that he needed to ask Jesus a question. He wanted to know the exact legal maneuvering he had to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we always have biases when we read scripture. I have biases from, from life stages I'm in, the things that I've been through, the things that have been beneficial to me, the things that have been traumatic to me. And quite honestly, when I read words like Sadducee or Pharisee or something like that, I'm immediately skeptical. But let's say that this lawyer really wanted to know. All, he, just, he just really wanted to know, one, two, three, what were the steps that he had to do? And so Jesus says, well, you've, you've read it. How do you see it? And he says, the lawyer says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, there you go. Just obey the law. But the lawyer's not content. He's still uneasy. He's still wrestling with this whole idea. And he goes, no, that, okay, okay, I'll follow the law. But who is my neighbor? And I like to picture that Jesus begins to tell him this story with possibly a slight smirk on his face, maybe a sideward glance to one of the 12 that were always with him as he told him about a man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Yes, danger. And while he was on his way, he was attacked and he was beaten and he was robbed and he was stripped, and he was left for dead, lying in a ditch. A priest comes along and sees the man and is startled and crosses the road to go past. A Levite does the same thing. And finally, an unlikely hero, a Samaritan, stops, checks on the man, dresses his wounds, covers his nakedness, puts him on his donkey and takes him to the inn. And he takes him to the inn and he tells the innkeeper, here's money. Here's money for what he needs right now. Here's money for whatever else is needed. I will be back. And Jesus asks the lawyer, so who was the neighbor to this man? We're centuries apart from this story. We don't understand some of the, the acrimony, some of the 
bitterness, some of the, some of the ferocity that the Jews would have held towards the Samaritans. But imagine the worst person that you can think of in your mind. That's who the Samaritan was. The story of the Samaritan is the story of stop and look and take care. Our scripture reading this morning is a snapshot of the church. Paul is writing to the church, to the, to the Colossians, to those folks who are living amongst Roman leadership and reign and rule. And he writes to them this encouraging prayer. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you might live a life worthy to the Lord, that you may please him in every way. How? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. These supernatural things that Paul is praying for these, these things that Paul wants for this, this, this group of people, this small community in the city of Colossae, the things that they need the Spirit for are the same things that we need the Spirit for today. Benjamin and I were, were talking over the, over the sermon this week, and bouncing ideas off of him and while we were talking, one of, the things that I, one of the things that we talked about is life is not lived in a vacuum. As much as we would like to think that it is, life is not lived in a vacuum. We don't come in here and hermetically seal everything and we're instantly protected and, and, and vaccinated and, 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 and un, un, uncorruptible by the world. We bring it in with us, everything that we go through. We can't set our pain and our weariness, our sorrow and our anger and, 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 and our lament and our prejudices, we can't set them down at the door. We've carried them so long that they're kind of embedded in us. It's just, it's just autopilot. Nothing changes until something changes. But we bring all of these things in here with us. And then we come in here and we sit together and we sing the same songs and we take the same action of taking the bread and the cup. But we don't want to be like the people of Amos' day. We don't want to be like the people of Amos' day who, who denied justice to the poor. Who were, not, who were not sympathetic to the cries of the weak and the hurting. Who, who walked right past 
those that needed help and then put on our shiny clothes and came in and sat here in worship. And we don't want to be like the priest and the Levite or even the lawyer who have to do some kind of mathematical equation or some kind of legal law loophole to find out who is our neighbor. We want to be people that are compelled by the Spirit of God who are drawn out of this building into the community around us. There's an apartment complex just down Holly Tree-ish. It's called Holly Tree Apartments. In the last few months, I've been talking to a group known as a Apartment Life that has a program to help you outreach into these places. We've already got an outreach program into Rice Elementary that's just right down the road. And for this last year, people like Pat Girth and Andy Albright and, and Barbara Gilbreth and others have been, Dana, have been going and serving as lunch buddies just to open um, ketchup packets for, for kids that have trouble with that. And they've done so at great risk and peril. Because you know how messy those kids can be. I mean, that's elementary. That's kindergarten through fifth grade. I mean, they got snot going everywhere, ketchup. They talk with their mouth full. I mean, Pat even has this shield that she wears. It's this big old apron. And it's got everything you need. I mean, she's got ketchup, napkins, wet wipes. She's got everything. She's ready to go at a moment's notice. We've hosted the teachers at our building for a meal to give them an hour break in the midst of their busy day. We've taken them pizza. We've stocked their refrigerators. We've just tried to be people who offer service. We've created a team, the community ministry team. Andy and Stephanie Albright, Vince and Tracy Shutt, Sarah, Ben and Allie Randall, and Abby Gray. And they're going to help us continue to serve rice, but they're going to help us also look and dream about how we can serve Holly Tree, about hosting pool parties there, and finding ways to maybe bring in a dog groomer or, or a veterinarian for people who have pets but work so much they don't have time to really take them anywhere. We're going to find ways to help them do better in school, whether they're in elementary, high school, or they're in college. We're going to stop in and do acts of care for the people that work in the office. And we're going to get to know people. And we're going to do these things. We're going to, we're going to do these things. And we're going to continue to do our, our, our Halloween deal of, of trunk or treat out on our parking lot. I'm challenging them, our community team, to come up with other ways in which we can use our parking lot, similar to what we did with the, with the classic car show. Any way to reach out, a back-to-school bash with some inflatables and, and things that kids can climb on and get messy on. Ways in which we can utilize this building to better serve our community. I know, I know, there's some of you out there that are struggling with the topic of our Bible class this morning right now. You're going, well, yeah, but 
What about preaching the gospel? Well, you see, our measuring line, our plumb line that God shows us is Christ. And just like Christ told the story about a Samaritan who noticed a Jew in a ditch and stopped and helped him and aided him, just like the life of Jesus where we see him at tables of tax collectors and Pharisees and everyone in between, we are going to do these things. We are going to do these fun, silly things such as playing with kids at a school helping them open ketchup packages. We are going to host pool parties. We may even host concerts of non-Christian music out in places around to help the nonprofits that we work with. And we are going to do this so that we can build relationships. And we are going to go and we are going to go sit at their tables so that we then will have the opportunity to invite them to sit with us at Jesus' table. We are going to dream big. But we're not going to let our big dreams create a sense of self-righteousness. We are going to do like Paul recommended to the Corinthians, and we're going to remember where we came from and who we were when we were called. My high school drama coach, she had a saying that she taught us all the time. She actually had two. Uh, one, that humiliation was a great teacher, so you better be prepared. But the one that I've hung on to and adapted for my life in ministry is she would tell us, never be afraid to make a fool out of yourself for your art. And I've adapted that to ministry. And I'm never afraid to make a fool out of myself for Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to adopt that phrase. I'm asking you to realize that we are not some prim and proper church, but we are the church of God's misfit toys. And he wants to use us to bless the community around us. He wants to use us to help the people who need help in our area. He wants to use us, not so that we can have alligator arms and only reach for what's in here, but we can reach out and we can envelop and hug everyone in our area. So, may you be a little uncomfortable with this message this morning. May it push you a little bit. May it challenge you a little bit. May it shake you a little bit. But may it drive you deeper into Scripture so that you can see that we were never meant to be an ant farm of Christians. But instead, we have roots that run all throughout the neighborhood in which we live. May the Gospel of Amos remind you to hear the cry of the poor, to listen to them and believe the things that they are telling you. May the Gospel of the Good Samaritan remind you to stop and to look for who needs aid and to offer it. And may you 
take upon you the words that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. Y'all can come on up. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you, Glenwood, might live a life worthy to the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in all your good works, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. In Jesus' name. Amen.